You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. The scripture passage from today is from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said, don't be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord of God will give him the throne of David his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. Then Mary said to the angel, How will this happen, since I haven't had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is to be born will be holy. He will be called God's Son. Look, even in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman, who was labeled unable to conceive, is now six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible for God. Then Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. Then the angel left her. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Well, good morning again, friends, and a happy, ugly Christmas sweater Sunday to you all. I come here today representing what is the best Christmas movie of all time. Can anyone tell me what that is? Christmas Vacation. Well done. Can you do the whole quote? How does it start? There you go. I don't know, Margo. Very well done. Very well done. Let's see how good the rest of you are. Okay, we're going to do a little bit of Christmas trivia, movie quote edition. First quote, who said this? The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. All together? Elf. Elf. Good job. Good job. You're one for one. Two for two. Here we go. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Christmas story. Here we go. Nice. Number three. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. 
Home Alone 2 is actually the correct answer. Go back and research it on your own. You can keep your change, you filthy animal. That's Home Alone 1. Merry Christmas, filthy animal. Number two, we're just here to sort of boost your Christmas trivia knowledge, okay, friends? Hallelujah. Here we go. Number four, it came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. The Grinch, good job, good job. And the last one, we're going to take it down a notch. I never thought it was a bad tree. Maybe it just needs a little love. Ready? Charlie Brown Christmas. Good job. Give yourselves a round of applause. Good job. Good job. <laughs> Speaking of love, uh, today we're actually returning to our uh, Advent sermon series that we've been in for the last several weeks. If you're just joining us for the first time here today in person or online, for the last several weeks uh, we've been camped out in uh, God's promises. And we've been meditating and reflecting upon uh, the promises that God fulfilled in and through the person of Jesus at Christmas time. And, for, and sort of, there's been layers to this. We've not only been reflecting upon the promise that God fulfilled to not only come into our world, to become one of us, but we've been meditating upon the promises that God made to bring certain things into the world. Gifts like hope, like peace, like joy. And today, the particular gift that we're highlighting in this fourth week of Advent is the gift of love. Love. Now, that might be a little bit confusing, because especially as you try to reconcile with a passage that we just heard Amy read a couple of moments ago, that's a little weird, because the passage for today is not really mushy-gushy. It's not really love and affection, right? We got the angel, we got Mary, we got this sort of interesting announcement that she didn't see coming. Where is the love buried in all of that? Well, in order to find the answer to that, we're going to have to dig in. We're going to have to dig in a little bit deeper. So let's do so now. If you have your Bibles with you and you want to uh, follow along here today, we're going to be camped out in Luke chapter 1. Or if you're watching this online, feel free to hit pause and uh, crack it open to Luke uh, chapter 1. To give you a little bit of context of our story for today, again, uh, the, the character we're honing in on once again is Mary. Mary has uh, just returned home, so she is in Galilee. And we learn uh, that quickly upon arriving at home, the angel Gabriel arrives and makes this really, really startling, world-changing, world-transforming announcement that she is going to uh, give birth to a son miraculously, uh, and this is going to be uh, God's son into the world. She's going to bear God's son, the Theotokos, the God-bearer is the term that we in Christianity have given to Mary. And what I love so much about uh, the way the author tells the story is the author makes sure to include uh, the details surrounding Mary's humanity. So, for example, when she first learns about this news, uh, what's so fascinating is we find here in verses 20 and 29, we see that she responds how any of us would, any human being would respond. When the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you, she was confused by these words, and she wondered, what kind of greeting might this be? And so the way I translate this verse is that on one level, Mary's sort of sitting with, like, holy cow, what's about to happen? Is this like an angry message? Like, is this God sort of warning me or us of our disobedience or our bad behavior? What kind of message, what kind of greeting is this? And furthermore, I think the reason why Mary is at least initially confused it's because she's still having to sort through the various implications of what was just shared with her. Anytime and every time, this is important to know, anytime and every time God speaks to us, friends, 
God is not only speaking to you, he's not only doing something for you, for us individually, but God is always trying to work out the redemption of the world. And so when God speaks to us, there might be personal implications for what you feel like you've heard from God, but there's always going to be personal implications, communal implications, and then cosmic, universal implications of what God has just said. So let's break that down for Mary. On the one hand, she's grappling with, she's processing the personal implications of learning that she is pregnant, which every parent in this room Uh, you know you need a minute when you first learn uh, that you are pregnant. Miraculous or not, it is a really, really startling experience to first learn uh, that you're pregnant. I'm willing to bet that every single one of you who have children, you can remember in vivid detail where you were when you found out and and who was with you uh, when you found out. I was thinking about uh, our own journey, uh, Marie and I, earlier this week. When we first learned we were pregnant, uh, Target knew before we did. Uh, we are one of those weird couples that Target was doing this weird thing where we would get these coupons when we'd check out and we'd get these email ads saying, you look like a couple in need of some uh, baby food and formula. And we're like, what's happening? What's going on? Does someone know something we don't know? Uh, and so we have this sort of layer going on. We moved to Apex, we moved into our new uh, apartment and the other uh, indicator for us uh, was this. So we moved into our new apartment and we're unpacking. And if there's anything in God's green earth that my wife hates doing more than unpacking, it is that. And so she is like complaining the time. She's like, oh, like I'm just tired. Like I don't know if I can do this. Like I don't just, I don't know. And to which I'm like, mm-hmm, sure. And I would regret that, mm-hmm, sure, very, very quickly uh, because uh, she was unpacking a box and quite literally goes, I'm just gonna lay down for a quick minute. She just falls asleep straight up in the, on the floor in the living room. And so I was like, Okay, between the target and that level of fatigue, this is getting a little weird. So an hour later, she takes the test. We find out we're pregnant. Hallelujah. (laughs) And it was just interesting when we were talking about this earlier this week, it's interesting how each of us processed that news. So for Marie, she's calling her family and she's talking to her really, really close friends. I am a nervous wreck. I have all this nervous energy pent up inside of me. And so how I process the news is I cleaned our microwave. And if you don't know me, uh, you need to understand. Do you know how many times I cleaned the microwave before that day? Zero. Do you know how many times I've cleaned the microwave since that day? Also zero. Microwaves are not supposed to be cleaned. You're supposed to just leave all the grime in there, and it kind of enhances the flavor. It sort of adds a little something to the mac and cheese. When you're like, oh, that's a mysterious soup. I don't know where that came from. It just adds something to the experience. And so we're all processing processing this in our own way. Mary is processing this in her own way. And I have to believe that once she sort of moved through the personal implications of learning that she is pregnant, she began to grapple with the cosmic. Wait, hold the phone. God is coming down here? God is becoming one of us. God is going to walk among us. What? Why? And I think there's a bunch of different answers to that question of why. But at the core, at the core, the reason for why is love. How so? Well, In the 12th century, there lived a Catholic uh, theologian by the name of Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas said this about love. 
real love, genuine love, in order for it to actually count as the real thing, real love is always a binding force, meaning you can't truly love somebody, you can't truly love something and be cold, isolated, and distant at the same time. You've been in a relationship like that before? You had people in your life like that before who claimed they loved you, but everything in their actions said they didn't want to be anywhere near you. Love don't work like that. If love is going to count as the real thing, you can't, you can't love me from a different realm. You can't love me from some high, lofty, sort of completely distant space, and just on occasion you say things to me that make me feel loved. You can't just sort of do it from afar and sort of share little words and sprinkle little words of affection and nurture and care. No, if it were ever to count as love, I got to know you're there for me. I got to know you're in it with me. In order for it to count as love, you better put skin in the game. I got to know that you got my back. In other words, in order for it to truly be love, at some point or another, God knew God and humanity were going to have to become one. And so friends, I would argue, and this is actually a position that I've held for quite some time now, I would argue that what we're seeing in the manger, what we're seeing when God did this radical revolutionary thing to marry together, the earthly and the heavenly, the unholy and the holy, the sacred and the secular, when God married these two things together in the person of Jesus, said, I'm going to be both to hold all this together. What I believe we are encountering in this moment is a greater, an act of love that was even greater than the cross itself. You heard me correctly. You see, friends, in church, whenever we think of and we go looking for, we go through the scriptures and we look for examples and evidence of God's love for us, it's the cross that gets all the love, pun intended. It is the cross that gets all of our sort of attention. That's the, the moment we knew God really loved us. And to be clear, I'm not discounting that whatsoever. Is that an, an incredibly moving and sacrificial example of love for us? Absolutely and amen. But there are a couple things that we need to remember. Number one, you don't get the atonement without the incarnation. It's a mute point. We ain't talking about Good Friday. We ain't talking about Easter unless God first makes the incredible, unforeseen move of entering into our world. And furthermore, it's really important to remember that as incredible and as amazing and powerful as the cross was, the cross was a singular commitment. It was a singular act, a powerful one, a transforming one, yes. But God didn't keep dying for us. God did that once. The manger was an eternal commitment. It was saying, this is actually who I am. Emmanuel means what? God with us. I'm going to be with you through thick and thin. I'm going to be with you and one of you forever. There's now no separating heaven from earth. I love this from Samuel. Samuel said this. He says, this is the, the difference between for love versus with love. He says, for love will always be secondary to with love. What does he mean by that? So for love is me doing something for you, something really nice 
for you. Something, an act of service for you. And that's important. That's really, really powerful. But here's the tricky part about for love. I can do something for you, and then I can leave you. I can actually do something for you and live thousands of miles away. I can order something for you on Amazon, and it'll arrive at your house. I can do something for you with ever having to, without ever having to feel what you feel or walk where you walk or endure what you endure. But you see, with love is something entirely different. With love is I'm not just going to do nice things for you. I'm with you. I'm in this with you. So much so that now your joy is my joy. And your suffering is my suffering. There's no longer me and you. There's now only in us as far as I'm concerned. This is the message of the manger. This is the movement of God in the manger. And for centuries, we here in the church have been trying to make sense of it. We've been trying to make sense of how earth-shattering this move truly is and was. In the closest analogy that we have to it, the closest sort of metaphor I can make to what God has done is what you see in marriage. Marriage is the closest thing you'll see amongst two people committing to a withness that's beyond sometimes their abilities, their feelings, their emotions. And I'll tell you, every married person or any person in this room who has been married before, you know this that there's a certain level of love that's required to get married. But there's a whole different category of love reserved for those who wade through their very first really tough, rough patch. For us, this was in 2017. In 2017, here's a picture of us. This is our lovely family back then. This is actually the Christmas card uh, that we sent out uh, that year. And much like every single Christmas card that you're getting into your inbox or mailbox, uh, every single post you're seeing from folks on social media, on the outside, looks great, doesn't it? Looks like we got it all together. Looks like we're happy. We're thriving. But what stories like these, or pictures rather, uh, like these, the stories they don't tell, is that in this picture you are looking at a couple who a has never been more stressed, B, never been more tired, we'd never slept less in our entire life than this particular year. You're looking at a couple who didn't make any time, didn't have any time for one another, hadn't been on a date night in nine months. Uh, I was asking Marie about this earlier. And so we weren't connected, we were isolated, we were snippy, short with each other, began to sh just sort of have a general sort of not even an interest in connecting or being one with one another. It was the first time ever in our marriage where either of us had ever had the thought, maybe just maybe this isn't forever. That's real. And some of you have been there before. And you know how scary that is. It's terrifying to reach a place where you don't know if this commitment, this, this level uh, of this promise you made to another person is going to stand, right? And I can't pinpoint for you the moment 
uh, where things changed. I can't pinpoint the exact moment. But I do know that it was in this season uh, that I heard this scripture. And I can't even remember where I heard it either, but I remember hearing this scripture. And in it, I think it encapsulates the call of the Christian life. It, it is the call of who we are supposed to be in and with one another. Paul writes this. He says, we are to always be humble, always be gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your what? What are we talking about today? Your love. And then see this, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. It was somewhere in that season that we heard these words and we just chose to believe. We chose to believe that if we did this, if we were this, we would eventually find our way back to one another. And we did. And I know full well saying this today, there are some of us who we tried that and it didn't work. You did this, but the other person didn't. Or maybe you were just at a place in your life where you couldn't do this. But somewhere in that, the, the making every effort to stay united, to stay with one another, not only brought us back to one another, but I'll tell you this, the other thing that that season of life did for me was it revealed something to me about God's love for us that I hadn't seen before, I hadn't actually experienced firsthand before, that friends, what makes the story of the Christian God so powerful, what makes the story of Jesus so powerful is not only that God does loving stuff for us when we deserve it, but it's that we have a God who is willing to stick with us when you don't. You've got a God who loves you even when you don't return the favor, especially when you don't return the favor. What the manger is, why the manger is so powerful, is it's God saying to humanity once and for all, I'm with you in every way to the end of the line. which is also a quote from Captain America, but it doesn't miss necessarily the gravity of how important it is that God did this. And so that's how the story starts, but that's not where the story ends. I love uh, the way the author keeps telling the story and says, okay, so in reaction, in response to this incredible love, this incredibly loving gesture on behalf of, on behalf of God to us, to Mary and to the world, Mary has a response herself. You and I, we have a response. We have a part to play. How does Mary respond? Verse 38, it says this. In response, after she's grappled with all the implications, all the different levels to what this means for her, for her community, and for the world, Mary's response is, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. And then the angel left her. That same theologian, Thomas Aquinas, said this also about love. He said, true love, real love, is the joining together of two wills. That's what you're seeing on display here. You're seeing a love that is demonstrated by a willingness to want what the other wants. Why this moment, this verse, is so powerful. Why Mary's response is so powerful is because she's saying back to God. She's saying in response to God's love, God, I hear that, and I love you too, and I love you more than my own comfort. 
You think it was comfortable explaining to all of her friends and family members and the temple how and the situations around how she got pregnant? I love you more than my own comfort. She, here in this moment, says, God, I love you more than my own stability. There was no guarantee. She had no guarantee. Nowhere did the angel say, fear not, we're going to work on Joseph and like he's going to come around. She had no guarantee that Joseph sticks around. In fact, in that society, he not only had every right, it was expected that he would break this thing off, which would have put Mary at an incredibly vulnerable position because back then, women didn't have a lot of power. And so marriage was not only romantic and relational, it was economic, it was your means for survival. And so she says, running the risk of all of that, she says back to God, God, I love you more than my own stability. And thirdly, she says back to God, God, I, I love you more than any plans I might have had for my life. You don't get to have God's son and go and live a normal life. You don't get to just sort of make some plans and just sort of do your own thing after that. That's kind of one of those things that defines your entire existence forever. She said, God, I love you more than any of those plans that I might have come up with. And friends, if I may, that is exactly what we're doing here week in and week out. This is the purpose of the church. I get it. There's some people out there who are like, I don't necessarily see the value of church anymore. I don't see what benefit it is to my life. I don't need to go to church no more. I don't need none of that in my life. Okay, fine. But here's the deal. Church on its best day, why I need it so much in my own life is because Augustine said this. Augustine said that Christianity on its best day, Jesus, what he does for us is he helps us understand a love rightly ordered. Put differently, put simply. Christianity on its best day teaches us how to love the right things in the right order with the right motivations. I don't know about you, but outside of this community, I don't got a lot of people asking me about what I love and who I love and why the hell I do it. And it's the church, it's this faith, it's this Advent season that has asked me some really, really hard questions this year. I think each of us probably had our own Advent journeys. We had our own ex-Advent expectations and discoveries. For me, you wanna know what it was for me? Advent for me was a time where I learned. I got confronted with the harsh realization that this year, 2023, there have been a lot of things, a lot of moments, unlike Mary, I loved other stuff more than I loved God. So, true confession. When I look back on 2023, I can see several moments where I didn't respond this way. Instead, I, my love for something else took precedent over my love and my devotion and my attentiveness and my openness to God and God's leading in my life. For example, when I look back on 2023, I can say that uh, with some humility, with some confession, that I loved progress more than God several times this year. If you and I are still getting to know each other a little bit, uh, you'll know, my wife will tell you, I don't sit still very well. I am someone who's all obsessed with progress, personally, professionally, relationally, every which way. I'm always trying to improve some aspect in some area of my life. 
which is a fine and a noble thing to possess until you realize that you've spent a large portion of the year running way out ahead of God, forgetting the chief call, the chief sort of uh, call of Jesus in the Christian life, which is to abide. John chapter 15, verse 4. Sometimes we make faith really complicated. Sometimes religion gets really, really complicated. At the very end of the day, it's really just as simple as this. Will you abide in me so that I can abide in you? Will you love me enough to put down all the things that get all your energy and all your attention to see the life that I have in store for you? And I'll close here. Man can want it. You see, friends, this Advent season for me, I don't know what it's been like for you, but for me, this Advent season for me has been asking myself a series of questions. Which, by the way, by the way, that is also church on its best day. It's always fascinating to me how many times people come to church looking for answers. But did you know that answers are actually not our specialty? Questions. Asking the right question. That's our specialty. That was Jesus' specialty. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus was asked over 300 questions. You know any time he actually answered them? Three. Three. Do you know how infuriating that would be? Three times you actually got a straight-up answer. Instead, he answered a question with a question 183 times. An answer's fine, but dang, give me a good question. And I'll sit with that for weeks. And so maybe for you, uh, maybe for me, maybe for us this Advent season, maybe the best way for us to conclude our Advent journey, Advent's wrapping up today, we're moving into Christmas next week, you still got some time, maybe for you this last week of Advent, this last week of your Advent journey, maybe for you it's about asking yourself some questions, some hard questions related to your and my ability to love. Maybe for you it's asking yourself questions like this, what do you love. What do you love most? What's the thing in your life, the person in your life, the ambition, the dream, the passion in your life that gets all your energy, all your dedications, the thing you're preoccupied with the most in life? And why do you love it? Get real with yourself for a second. Why do you love it? Why? What are others getting from your love? Are they getting any of it? What are you getting out of your love? What are the reasons and motivations that draw you to love the way that you do? And maybe the hardest question of all, what or who do you claim to love? but your actions bear very little evidence of. These are the questions of the Advent season. Or uh, another question from the esteemed theologian Hathaway. Maybe the question for you this season is, what is love? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. 
Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.